0: The only thing, the only thing I want in life is to be known for love in Christ. To build his church, to love his bride, and to make his name known far and wide. You know, the more I, I sing this song, the more I, I love its message. And since it's a bit more difficult to sing, we don't sing it nearly often enough, but maybe we should. Because maybe this song has a message that's worth committing to our hearts so that the Spirit could use this very message To change those hearts. Because see, this song so powerfully, powerfully reminds us of who we are as Christ's followers. Of who it is that we are to become. You see, this opening verse that we have here contains a three-part prayer. And these three prayers perfectly describe the life of Christ's followers. First, the only thing I want in life is to be known for loving Christ. When I reach the end of my days... What will I be remembered for? When you reach the end of your days, what will you be remembered for? What are you known for now? Because friends, what we're going to be known for at the end of our days is largely what we're known for right here and now, what we're known for day in and day out. And so if we want to be known at the end of our days as those who love Christ, we need to start right now. Here in our days today, we need to be a people who loves Christ. And as we heard many times as we studied together and finished our series on 1 John, we know that those who love Jesus as a result of his love for them, they love him back. And that results in obedience to Jesus. Loving Christ is not about warm, fuzzy emotions towards Jesus. Loving Christ is not about ecstatic experiences of Jesus or impassioned expressions about Jesus. Loving Jesus ultimately is about obeying Jesus. And church, this is why we emphasize the need for those who are disciples, who are followers of Jesus Christ, to know the word of God. Because we want to be known as those who love Christ and those who love Christ obey Christ and those who obey Christ need to know his word. That's why last year at this time, we would spent multiple weeks doing a series on the Bible. What is it? Who wrote it? How did we get it? How do we interpret it? How do we imply it? Apply, imply it. How do we apply the Bible? And if you missed that series, the entire series is available through our church website or on iTunes. We taught about the Bible, and weekly we gather to study from the Bible. And during the week, we encourage you individually and as families and in small groups to gather and regularly abide in the Word of God. Because church, we need to know the Bible, because that's where we meet and we come to know Christ. If we want to be a people known for loving Christ, we need to be a people who meet Him, and we meet Him in and through the Word of God. Because in and through the Word of God, we learn who Jesus truly is, And what he truly commanded. And church, if we don't know the word of God, we risk loving and following not the true Christ, but a Christ of our own imaginations, of our own making, a Christ constructed in our own image. If your primary understanding of who Jesus is, of what he's like and what he commanded, is your experience of or impressions about or emotions towards Jesus, you're probably not loving the true Jesus, but an idol you've constructed. That looks like Jesus. At least in your mind. And the danger is one day you'll meet the true Jesus. And you'll turn away from him. Because he doesn't match up with that idol that you've built. Church, if we're going to be known as a people who love Christ. We need to become a people who obey Christ. Which means we need to be a people in the word of Christ. And are we? Are we a people who will be known for loving Christ? A people who know his word and who obey him and obey that word. The prayer opens, may we be known for loving Christ. The final line says that I might make Jesus' name known far and wide. And this is the very mission of God. This is the mission of God from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. That his name is known far and wide. God is gathering to himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus' final command to his disciples before he ascended into heaven was, go and make disciples of all nations. The command... Is God's mission, it's the commission of Christ to his church. Will we be known as a people who go? A people who desire to make Jesus' name known far and wide. To live out his great commission. The the, the verse of this song begins with a prayer that we might become a people known for loving Christ. It ends with a prayer about becoming a people who make Christ's name known. And right in the middle, right in the middle is where we're going to dwell the next several weeks. It's that prayer right there in the center of the verse. The only thing I want in life is to build his church and to love his bride. To build Christ's church, to love Christ's bride. Because, friends, this is the prayer that we're going to focus on. This is the prayer that we're going to pray that he teaches us how to pray. We're going to ask God that he take this prayer and he help us not just pray it, but he help us practice this prayer together. That we might become a people committed to building Christ's church, to loving Christ's bride. Because over the next several weeks as we study what might happen, what might it look like if we learned, if he taught us how to pray truly this prayer, that we might build his church and love his bride? What might it happen, what might happen if we started to practice this in our lives? How might our lives change by this prayer? How would, it change our, how would this prayer change our fellowship? How might this prayer transform us and then cause the name of Christ to be known by this community and this world and so change the world? Church, what might happen if we became serious about this prayer to build Christ's church, to love Christ's bride? What might happen? And are you ready together to find out? Let's pray together as we begin. Father, you've already heard our prayer. This is how we want to be known. We want to be known for loving Christ, a people of his word. We want to be known for building the church, for loving your bride, for loving one another. And we want to be known for making your name known far and wide for you receiving glory and honor. Father, help us. Help us especially as we focus on that that middle prayer that we might learn what it means to build the church, to love your bride. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we put it into practice? And Spirit, come. Spirit, come and help us to put it into practice. That you might receive glory and honor and praise in our lives and in your church now and forevermore. Amen. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians today. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians in the Pew Bible, it's page 918, and in the large print Pew Bibles, it's 1161. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Turn me to Ephesians. We're looking at chapter 4. A wonderful passage about the nature of the church. A wonderful passage about this prayer that we just talked about. Paul writes and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This entire section that we just read in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus is about building Christ's church. Now, now, the letter to the church in Ephesus, unlike some of Paul's other letters, it's not a contextual letter. You know, some of Paul's letters, like Galatians or 2 Corinthians, they were written to very specific communities to address very specific, particular problems that that community was having at the time. But Ephesians, Ephesians is far more universal. It's almost got a cosmic quality to it, the way that, the way that Paul writes. It's really a foundational document. You know, there's one commentator I read that he says that he believes if you'd ask the Apostle Paul, Hey, Paul, give me your very best thinking on the church, he would have handed you Ephesians. Many commentators then say that the passage we just read, that there's no passage in the New Testament more descriptive of the church in action than this passage we just read from Ephesians. This is a key passage in understanding the building up of the church. You see, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all Paul outlining a theological basis for our unity in Christ. And then starting here in chapter four, Paul moves on to a practical outworking of that unity in Christ. In other words, chapters one through three of Ephesians, Paul theologically writes, Hey, Jesus came to build and to love his church. And starting here in chapter four, he goes, and practically this is what it means for you. Jesus built his church, and this is what it means for you. This is how you live out the unity that he's created. This is how you live out what he's built. And chapter 4 begins Paul's discussion. And Paul tells his readers, in fact, in verse 3, that they should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Because you see, what he's saying is he says the church is the work of God. It's not the work of any human being. No human being can create the church. The Holy Spirit unites and creates the church. He brings together the church. So what's our part? Our part is protecting and nurturing and maintaining what the Spirit has done and is doing. We are called, it says, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit builds the church and we build up the church. We learn to love his bride. We maintain that unity that the Spirit has created. And Paul reminds his hearers of this unity that God created for his church. You know, many scholars believe that verses 4 through 6 that we read contains a seven-point summary, and it might have even been an early creed or confession that Paul wrote for the church. We hear seven ones. There's one faith, one baptism, one Lord overall, And all of those ones are emphasizing the uniqueness The uniqueness and the unity. He says, listen, there's only one gospel. And in these ones, we are made one. You see, we believe the good news. We believe the one gospel of the one God and the one faith and the one baptism. And it unites us. He says, neither is there salvation outside of this. But neither is our faith a private faith. Friends, it's a personal faith that we have. But it's not a private faith. Do you hear that? It's a personal faith, but it's not private. There's only one faith, and this faith makes us one. There is one faith, and the faith makes us one. It unites us together as the church. In other words, friends, Jesus didn't come for only you. You see, we have a theology right now, especially in American Christianity, of kind of Jesus and me. But Paul goes, no. He didn't come for only you. There is one faith, and by that one faith, we are united together as one. The Spirit unites us. The faith unites us. He's bringing us together as one. Jesus came for a people, for his church, and when we believe, we're united by the Spirit and united in belief with the body, with the church, and we're called now to love and to build up this church. And then Paul goes on to say God's gifted his people to do just that, to build up the church, to to maintain and protect the unity that the Spirit created, the unity of the faith that you believe. God's given you gifts to do that. And that's verses 7 through 10. It's a little confusing. Paul quotes here Psalm 68 verse 18. Talks about Jesus descending from heaven, being incarnated, living amongst us. Dying for us, rising victorious, and basically saying Christ ascended to heaven, and when he did, it says he gave gifts, spiritual gifts, to his church. He gave the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gives us gifts, and those gifts are for the building up of his church. As we see in verse 12, why did we receive gifts? By the Spirit to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For building up. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. So you see, the Spirit calls us together as Christ's church. We share together in one faith. We're united in that. And then God has given us gifts. And with those gifts, we are called then to nurture and to protect and to maintain that unity that we have to build up the body of Christ. To build his church. To love his bride. And notice the the pronouns that Paul uses in verse 13. You see, they're plural. It's not me. It's we. It's not me. Until we attain. Growing to maturity, friends, is a corporate event. You know, this flies in the face of our individualistic, especially American Christianity. You see, I can't simply be concerned about myself and my growth and my maturity. I have to be concerned about us. I need to be concerned about you. And you need to be concerned about me. And we need to be concerned about one another. Church, we, we need one another. The church is our focus. Our unity and our maturity is our concern that we build up the church, that we love Christ's bride. Because only then does it say together, Together, we, does the body grow and become mature. Only together, we attain the fullness of Christ. We build His church. We love His bride. And Paul uses here the analogy, as he does throughout his other letters, of the human body. He says, we're a body. In fact, we sang that in some of the songs. We are His body. Paul uses the analogy of the human body, especially in verses 15 and 16, A body using its unique and diverse gifts. And when each part is working properly, what happens? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Builds the church to love his bride. Followers of Christ are repeatedly in this passage and throughout the New Testament called to build up the church, to love Christ's church, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, eager to stand together in the one faith, eager to use our gifts, our Spirit-given gifts, for the building up and the loving of the church. But friends, how? Because this is all easy to say, and it's pretty straightforward for us to pray, but practically, how do we practice this? How do we do this? I mean, practically, tomorrow morning when I wake up, how do I do this? When when this service ends, and I I go, how do I do this? Practically, how do we build one another up? How do we love the bride of Christ? And the answer is found in the one another commands. You see, the Greek word allelon is used a hundred times. In 94 New Testament verses, 100 times in 94 New Testament verses, and this word is translated one another. And of the 100 uses we find, approximately 59 of them are specific commands to the church about how we are to relate to one another. How are we to relate to one another? How do we build up the church? What does it look like practically, boots on the ground, to love the bride of Christ? How do we do it? What does it look like? The one another commands give us a practical answer. In fact, Pastor Andy Stanley said the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another, one anothering one another. You know, because of the prominence of these one another commands of scripture, many pastors and speakers have actually taken and made this pronoun, one another, into a verb. One anothering. In fact, as I researched, I even discovered that the Urban Dictionary, which is a website for recording definitions and descriptions of new words or slang in our culture, even has a definition for it. One anothering is when you do things for others. It came to me from the Bible. There are over 50 times where the phrase one another is used. We find that this phrase, one anothering, is being used in culture, but that's because it's used in Scripture. Well, clearly it's a made-up word, one anothering. It, It describes practically what it means for us to love one another. What does it mean to love the church? What does it mean to build up the church? Well, we do it by one anothering. By going to these commands, by listening to them, by meditating on them, by praying them, and then by the power of the Spirit in our lives, by practicing these one another commands together. You see, the one another commands of Scripture, they put teeth. They put teeth into the call to build up the church. And to love the church. It moves our love from something that's abstract or theoretical to something that's tangible, that's practical. One another commands are what God uses us to bring us into true fellowship with one another. Because you see, the danger of the church and the danger of saying I love the church and the danger of saying I'm building up the church is that we can stay superficial. There's always going to be a temptation to keep our relationships right here on the surface talk, and token to simply be friendly, but do we really love? Professor Howard Snyder assessed, and he said, many churches today have a superficial idea and experience of community. Christian community is easily mistaken for mere cordiality, courtesy, or sociability. It easily becomes least common denominator fellowship, not much different from the Kiwanis Club or a neighborhood potluck. Often so-called Christian community is marked by nothing that's specifically Christian and nothing that challenges the values of the surrounding pagan society. Ouch. But I read something like that and I go, well, what about us? What about me? What about the culture that I'm encouraging, that I'm creating in my home and in my life and that I'm encouraging in our church? Church, true community, genuine Christian fellowship goes deeper. It goes deeper than talk and token. It goes deeper than being cordial or sociable. True Christian fellowship, apart from all other relationships, is made different by two things. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the practice of these one another commands. And I'm going to tell you that bell five minutes fast. So I still have five minutes. Ignore that bell. They need to fix that clock. I got five minutes. Hate it when it does that. So, friends, what sets apart Christian community is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the practice of these one another commands. The presence of the Spirit creates unity. The practice of the one another commands protects and maintains unity. That's what sets apart Christian community. You see, many times before, as we've preached, as I've preached, and as we've talked and studied these scriptures together, we've noted that the Greek word koinonia, which is translated through the New Testament as fellowship, or sharing in, or participation, is what's used to describe Christian community. Koinonia, a sharing in. More than superficial, more than cordial, more than friendly, more than close. Sharing in. Because we need to be vigilant, church. And we need to be vigilant because the danger is that we can confuse closeness with intimacy. Because you know what? A jar of marbles is close, but they are not intimate. They're all in the same jar, but there's no real togetherness. Those marbles have zero effect on one another. They're no different for the fact that they're right now in contact with each other than they would be if they were apart. There's no actual sharing in going on in that jar. The marbles are no different because they're together. But what we're called to is something vastly different. We're called to be more than a jar of marbles. We're called more than just to roll around and bump into one another and make no difference. We are called to koinonia, to sharing in, to affecting one another. Life rubbing up against life in a way that we are changed, that we are transformed. Going deeper than friendly and becoming family. Pastor Tim Keller warns, because this is the danger of Marble Church, it's possible to hold a weekly small group meeting without adding the elements that create real community. Because of our idols and the habits of our heart, church events simply become places where individuals, Focus on themselves in the presence of others. It takes deep reflection and costly commitment to live in community. See, we need to guard against ourselves lest we become a jar full of marbles. Focusing on ourselves together in the presence of others, but I'm still focused on myself. And I'm not really affecting you and you're not really affecting me. We're together, but there's no real sharing in. It looks like we're close, but are we? Church, we need to be more than a jar full of marbles. We need koinonia, a sharing in. We need to truly be those who build his church and love his bride. And then as Keller says, it will take deep reflection and costly commitment. And the question for us is, am I willing? Am I willing to for the deep commitment and the costly commitment Genuine biblical fellowship, koinonia for building up and loving the church. Am I willing to risk that? To make that a reality. And friends, as we meditate on and pray and begin to practice together these one another commands over the next several weeks, you're gonna see something. They're not about attitudes as much as they're about behaviors. You see, the one another commands that we find in Scripture are immensely practical. God is far more concerned about how we act towards one another than how we feel towards one another. Now, now some people go, well, well, then am I supposed to be a hypocrite? I mean, if I don't love that person, isn't it hypocritical then to act lovingly towards them? No. It's an act of faith. You see, hypocrisy is when you act contrary to what you believe. But if you believe that you should be loving that person, even though you're not feeling it, and you act according to your belief, you're actually right in line with your beliefs. That's not hypocrisy. That's an act of faith. That's saying, I'm supposed to be loving you. I don't feel very loving towards you. We know this because many of us here are married. You don't always feel loving towards your spouse, and they certainly don't always feel loving towards you. But you still can choose how you act towards them. And we can do the same in the church. It's not hypocrisy to act according to our beliefs. In fact, it's what we're called to do. We're called to choose to act lovingly. And the commands, the one and other commands, friends, they're practical. It's more about your obedience. It's more about your action than about how you're feeling. But the crazy thing, the way God has, it, has us wired, is that if we keep practicing it, all of a sudden we start to feel something different. Something changes you know, I was just having a conversation this week with the guys in my discipleship group, and we are talking about how different practices can affect you. And we talked about how when you pray kneeling, it's really kind of hard to be proud. Isn't it? That posture affects you, and the more that I do it, the more I find that that practice starts to affect me. Friends, what we start practicing, what we do will affect us, and eventually it starts to change our heart and our emotions. In the same way, you know what? When my alarm goes off at 5 in the morning and it's 30 degrees out and dark outside, I don't feel like getting up and running. But once you've done it almost every day for a year, even when you don't feel like it, one thing, you find that all of a sudden you've changed. And while you still don't always like it, you go, wait a second. This is just what I do. And in fact, your, your heart changes. The more we practice things, the Spirit uses those To shape our hearts. And so the scriptures, these one another commands, they're behavioral. They say, do these things and do them over and over again. And even when you don't feel it, do them. And guess what? The Spirit's going to take that and change you. And one day you're going to wake up and go, wait a second, I feel different. I feel differently towards you. And so these one another commands are going to challenge us to act differently, trusting that the Spirit's going to use that to make us different. And secondly, we're going to find that these one another commands, they're going to draw us towards one another. They're going to show us that we need one another. As we read in the Ephesians passage, it said spiritual maturity is only found together. In verses 15 and 16, it says we grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ. He makes the body grow. We build ourselves up in love. We need one another. These one another commands are not optional. Christian community is not optional. The one another commands bring us face to face with our need for one another. Pastor Eugene Peterson said it so beautifully. Love cannot exist in isolation, because away from others, love bloats into pride. Grace cannot be received privately, because cut off from others, it's perverted into greed. Hope cannot develop in solitude, separated from community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. No gift, no virtue can develop and remain healthy apart from the community of faith. Outside the church, there's no salvation, is not ecclesiastical arrogance, but spiritual common sense. And it's confirmed in everyday experience. See, friends, we need one another. These one another commands are what God uses to shape us. They shape me, they shape you, they form us. We need one another. There is no such thing as Jesus and me Christianity. It's a lie. We need one another. We need the church. If we are going to grow, if we are going to be mature, if we are going to become like Christ, the one another commands say, you need one another. You can't avoid one another, so stop trying it. Come together. Practice these commands and watch the Spirit use them to change your hearts. Nearly all of these one another commands are imperatives. They're command form verbs. They're not abstract spiritual truths that we're called to just meditate on and make us feel good. These are practices. One anothering is uncomfortable love. It's sacrificial action. And we are commanded to truly build his church to love Christ's bride, not theoretically, not devotionally, not sentimentally, but in practice indeed in our lives. And church, what might happen? What might happen if we truly believed more fully in what Christ might do through the power of his spirit as we practice these commands, these one another commands? What might Christ do as we practice them together to build us up individually and corporately? What might one anothering do to change the very atmosphere of our church? And how might such a transformed church be used by Christ as we sang to make his name known far and wide? We also sang this morning, Jesus' words, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, so also you're to love one another. And by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. May they know we are Christians by our love. Church, what if, What if we took seriously and started together practicing these one another commands we're going to find in Scripture? What if by faith we practice them, even when we don't feel them? What if by faith we obeyed Christ and His command to love one another and to build His church? Friends, what might Christ do? Are you ready to find out? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to build your church and to love your bride. Help us to practice these one another commands that we're going to study in Scripture together. Help us to act by the power of your Spirit even when we don't feel it and then use those actions to shape our hearts that we might learn what love is and what it means to love. That we might learn what it means to love the way that you loved because you loved a bunch of unlovable people. You loved us all the way back to yourself. And now help us to do the same. In Jesus' name.